Thank you for joining us on The Pleasure Principle today. I want to announce that Joyful Sex Education and The Pleasure Principle podcast are undergoing a metamorphosis. September of 2021 is the month that I pivot from general sex education to sexual well-being in the context of multiple sclerosis and other chronic illnesses. My guest this month seems to have dealt with her autoimmune diagnosis with an eyes wide open bravery that I could not muster when I was diagnosed. When I asked her to be a guest on my podcast, she made reference to the doctors and experts that I usually interview and said that she felt like she was just a girl with a disease. And we laughed at that. But this brings up another important reason that I'm embarking on this specific exploration. I have training and expertise as a sex educator, but the experience that I have accumulated as a disabled person is unique and valuable. Neglecting to make use of this knowledge would be a downright sin. And as far as sins go, this one has no appeal for me. I'd rather indulge in much juicier sinful behavior myself. So this month, I begin to risk vulnerability to share my journey with others. Join me and let's support each other on this challenging yet liberating path. Get ready. Don't flinch. My guest today is Chelsea Stordeboom. She is a singer, dancer, actress who lives in New York City. She's an associate director of a children's theater program, which I think is totally cool, and producer of the My Immune System Hates Me podcast, which is super cool. She was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis last year, and she decided to start a podcast to give voice to the folks who live with autoimmune diseases. And this is how I found her. I discovered her podcast when I searched the term multiple sclerosis in Apple Podcasts, and she has an episode that highlights this particular scourge. So I reached out to chat with her, and here we are. So Chelsea, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for um, connecting. This has been really fun to chat with you. It has. We've we've already had some really good conversations, Mm -hmm. so... I'm excited yeah. about it. And this is really, I was going to tell you that this, um, you referred to yourself as just a girl with a disease. <laughs> but I was going to tell you that there's something about the flow of how I just ran across you and your podcast at this perfect time when I am shifting the focus of my podcast right now and even my work and bringing it into a more personal level. You know, I, I'm just trying to to make a little bit more real, and making it more real for me includes uh, being real about having an autoimmune disease. So that's yeah. what we're going to talk about today. So uh, first of all, can you tell us, on top of everything that I just said about you, uh, tell me if there's anything else that's important to say, and then tell me what gender pronouns you prefer. Um, Yeah, so I am a queer cis woman. I use she, her pronouns. And you pretty much covered everything that's important about me. I think you hit all the all the big topics, musical theater, New York City, autoimmune disease. (laughs) (laughs) Like talking points. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I always try to well, I, I try to start 
the interview with this question. Tell me what your sex education was like as a child. So there really wasn't any in school. They talked about reproduction and puberty and what happens to your body. But I don't remember any conversations about sex or pleasure or consent or anything like that. I actually got uh, educated myself through podcasts. Uh, I got in my first relationship when I was 18 and I was like, I don't know what to do when it comes to intimacy. And a friend suggested I listen to the Savage Love Cast by Dan Savage, and I've been a listener ever since. It's taught me so much about myself and my own sexuality and kind of how to interact with others in that way. Absolutely. Yes, he's absolutely one of my favorite podcasts too. Yeah. That's really cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to ask you first, tell us, I really know very little about RA, And I haven't done, I didn't do a lot of homework before this interview, so I still don't know a whole lot about RA. So I want you to tell us really what it is and how it affects the body in general. Yeah, so rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease where your immune system mistakes your joints for an invader. So it kind of attacks it like it would a virus or bacteria or something, and it causes your joints to become inflamed and they... In that state, they become very immobile and extremely painful. Um, So along with the joint pain, sometimes RA can bleed into other aspects. It could get to your skin. It could inflame um, your eyes, some of your organs. Joints are just the most common part. Um, And it's um, it's pretty painful. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about... Tell me what you remember about your diagnosis and hearing your diagnosis. Like, how did you find out that's what you had? Where were you really? And and do you remember how, how you reacted, how you felt in your body when you heard that news? Yeah. Um, with As with most autoimmune diseases, it's never an easy, quick diagnosis. I first started feeling symptoms in April of 2020. So we were in quarantine, locked down. I was living alone um, and my jaw started locking up. And a few hours later, my shoulder felt the same sort of immobility and pain. And it was it came out of nowhere. So I called. uh, We did like a virtual visit with a doctor and he was like, if it's in your jaw, it's a tooth infection. You definitely have a tooth infection. And I was like, it's not uh, my tooth doesn't hurt. So I don't think so. And he was like, no, it is. I'll send you some antibiotics. And that was it. I didn't take those because I was like, that's not true. So I braved the pandemic, New York City in April, like the peak of the pandemic. I needed to figure this out. So I went to an urgent care and she told me it was a pinched nerve. And I was kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'll take some pain meds. But then after a few days, that pain had left. But the same pain started happening on my other side. So it started on my left. And in a few days, the same pain was happening in my right. Then it started happening in my hands and my ankles. And I was like, this is not a normal thing. So I saw a primary care doctor. She also told me it was a pinched nerve. I did so many virtual visits trying to get to the bottom of this until my chiropractor actually saw me. My hand was swollen. And she was like, you need to go get tested for RA. 
And my first reaction was like, no, 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 I'm too young to have arthritis. That's like, that's for old people. And she was like, no, autoimmune diseases can get to anybody. Go get tested. So I did. I, I asked my primary care doctor to test me. And the results came in actually the day after my 31st birthday. So I had just turned 31. And then the next day, I got an email from my doctor saying, you have rheumatoid arthritis, here's a referral for a rheumatologist. And it was part of me was like, okay, this is what it means to get older. You know, you just you just had a birthday. And now you have a lifelong illness. Um, And again, I was completely alone. I had woken up, I was still in bed when I saw this email. And my first instinct was, yes, I finally have an answer. Now I'm going to get treated for it. But then my next reaction was, oh, crap, I have this diagnosis now and it's lifelong. It's incurable. And lots of people, it, it's, it's degenerative. So who knows if I'll even be able to walk in a couple of years? Is this going to change my career? All of a sudden, I started just being overwhelmed with all the things that this was going to change. So it was a very melancholy day. I was very much like, all right, let me book an appointment right now. I was like, let's get to business but also it was, I was trying to push out of my mind the sadness and the the grief that was about to come. Yeah, I, I know that that feeling of really just kind of wanting to push the reality of that away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is really particularly sucky <laughs> that a dancer gets RA, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I kind of, cancer is a very prevalent in my family. I've had five relatives die of cancer. So in my mind, I've always been like, I'm going to get cancer one day and that's what's going to take me out. But I, you know, I thought maybe when I'm 50 or 60 and then I got this diagnosis and it was like, cool. The one thing I use to make money is my body and it's turning on me. And I don't have any other skills. (laughs) This is all I've got. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you are you able to dance anymore? Do you do any dancing still? Yeah, so I still do. Um, I have a bunch of braces and compression bands and sleeves that I wear when I dance, um, and it depends on the day. With this disease, you have good days and you have bad days. On a bad day, I sit it out. But on a good day, I'm like, today's the day. Let's go take class. Let's go do these things. And it, yeah, it's it's a day by day type of thing, but I still do dance. I understand that. I understand yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I want to ask uh, how you, how it's affected um, your identity, your uh, connection to your body, and then physically, does it affect your sensory perception? Does it affect your senses at all? I'll answer that one first because I don't think so. Um, I haven't noticed anything sensory that's changed. Definitely with my connection with my body as a dancer, I've always been very connected to my body. And I think part of that is what helped me get diagnosed is because I knew it was bigger than the diagnoses I was given. I've had pinched nerves before, and that's not what this felt like. Um, So I think that helped me to get diagnosed. And now it helps me kind of prepare. I can feel, I notice the little changes when I say, oh, like a flare is coming on. Let me prepare. Let me make sure I'm not doing anything tomorrow that's important. Let me get some rest. I'm able to pick up on those triggers pretty quickly. Um, And as far as my sense of self, it's, it's changed 
kind of what's important to me. It's changed a lot about me as far as uh, I've become much more like empathetic towards others. And it's, it's given me a new perspective for sure. Um, I still though, try to identify as a dancer, you know, like I, it, I haven't let it take that from me yet. <laughs> we'll see. Knock on wood. Um, but no, it, it's kind of just added on to what I already have. It hasn't changed me to the point that I don't know who, who that old person was, that healthy person. <laughs> I would say that I would encourage you to never let go of that identity as a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. And that I say this like... I do that because you know I, I think I told you that I I um I was not a, a dancer like dancing although I, I did do a lot of theater in my younger days lots and lots and lots of theater um and, I, and maybe a little bit of dancing there but I, I I I was an erotic dancer for a while and I've always just been super graceful my body's been strong and I felt very sure in my body and so that was I I I though I wasn't making a living at that any, with, with my body anymore. It was, it was a difficult um, transition. And I think that I allowed myself to let that go. Like I don't, I was um, so frustrated by my, what became my clumsiness that I didn't let myself move anymore in the ways that I used to move. And I'm, that's one thing that I'm going to push myself to start doing over the next year or so as I'm coming more honestly face to face with what I'm dealing with Mm -hmm. is, uh, yeah, don't, don't let that go. In fact, I had a, a guest earlier on India Harville. She was talking about, I, that was my first sexability Uh, episode on the pleasure principle and uh she is a dancer who uh as a as a also a disability activist and that's what she does she's like you know you can move and dance and express yourself no matter how you move yeah Mm -hmm. anyway that's my little pet talk i want to talk about uh relationships now and so has it I want to ask you if you feel like it has affected your sexuality or your willingness to be in a relationship do you think honestly I hadn't even really thought about it until I started talking with you I have been um very hesitant to go out in the dating world because of covid for the most part or at least that's what i've been telling Mm -hmm. myself is like i I, this is not the time to interact with new people and get that intimate and close with someone when like you could get me sick um i haven't even really thought about where ra would come into it uh so after speaking with you i started thinking when is the right time to tell someone that you have this illness because it can get in the way it can get in the way of like going on a hike together or doing anything physical um but also if it works out and we're with each other for many years this person might have to take care of me in ways that they might not be prepared for so there's so much to think about now when I enter a relationship that honestly I've just been pushing it out of my mind it's just too much (laughs) um so yeah so I haven't even noticed it come in the way of any sort of sexuality or sensuality because I've been pushing it out of my mind when it comes to that kind of thing. 
And you know that, I think that that's okay. You've, you <laughs> were only diagnosed about a year ago. And yeah. so taking that year just to process mm-hmm. yourself and, and just the experience of making it through a medical crisis alone is incredibly empowering in a way. You know, yeah. I had to, um, <clears throat> I said I was single, but I had to also uh, learn to reach out to all kinds of different people for help yeah. and not necessarily. So I relied on myself to a certain extent, but I also had to be willing to ask for help in ways that I'm not used to doing because I'm used to just doing everything myself. I'll take care of it myself. You know? Right. Yeah, I've, I actually had a conversation with someone recently, she was asking if I have like a good support network around me. And I do, I have some people that will push me if if I have something wrong, they'll push me to call the doctor, and they won't let me quit until I am satisfied with the answer. Um, I have other people that I can kind of vent to about it, because it's hard to vent to people who don't have an illness. They're like, oh, you're in pain. I don't know how to help you. Let's change the subject. So I do have people that I can vent to. What I don't have, and part of that like a partner would feel is like, I don't have someone that I can just like break down to, you know, like when I fall apart, I don't have anyone here that can lift me back up again. I have my cat. She's very helpful, but (laughs) very different (laughs) in a very different way. Um, So yeah, going through it single is challenging, but you're right. It's very empowering. I, I know now that I can take care of myself. I don't need somebody else. I won't be dependent until, of course, if my body breaks down. But I, I, as it is right now, I can take care of myself and a partner would be an addition, an extra mm-hmm. bonus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that there's something about vulnerability uh, mm-hmm. that is so scary. So vulnerability is a willingness to be vulnerable is it's critical to have really hot sexual experiences with other people mm-hmm. well sometimes i mean unless you're having just random hookups and you know right that's a you whole other topic <laughs> you <Yeah>. don't need that <laughs> i mean in, in a way you do so i don't know so talk to me about vulnerability and how that has changed for you Yeah, I've never felt vulnerable about expressing my feelings or um, in that sense. But what I what I have grown in is asking for help and and telling people like I'm struggling, showing any weakness in that way, like I'm struggling today. I need you to help me do this. Um, Now I have no shame, no embarrassment when I do that because I'm dealing with enough. I don't need to deal with the shame of asking someone else for help and relying on other people for things. Um, so that's been a huge point of growth for me in all this is telling people, this is a disease that I have and I'm going to need your hand. I'm going to need a hand, you know? That's good. Um, yeah. It's been, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's been extremely helpful and yeah, it's, it's a good tool. <laughs> I mean, that will, I mean, and it's important for uh, relationships as well. And, you know, you're talking about the whole disclosure thing. And I, I understand that's, that's very difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. for me, um, whenever I did disclose to someone, um, it, it is that timing is like really difficult. Like, okay. If you have an STI, Mm -hmm. 
you you know that you just expose that before you're going to have sex together. So there's right. like this delineation. You, you do that then. But mm-hmm. this is different. Like it's not putting them at risk other than, right. like you said, a long-term thing. And, you know, when do you tell them? And I think for me, I discovered that um, it was um, it was something that I had to just get to the point where I, I talked to people about it pretty soon, like mm-hmm. not necessarily on the first date or the first conversations, but really pretty soon. And, um, and then if they freaked out about it, they're not the right person for me. They're not someone that is strong enough, you know, mm-hmm. and, and also like there's this whole ableism thing, you know, where only uh, strong bodies or only um, completely uh, able-bodied, quote-unquote, people are valuable in the world that we live in. And um, yeah, you don't want somebody that buys into that anyway. I, I was considering recently just putting it in my dating profile and just being like, look, <laughs> this is what you're getting into. But I, I thought better of it because people might not you know, know what any of that means. I'd rather explain to you how it affects me and have that conversation Um, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, you're right. I don't want people to treat me like I'm some fragile, delicate being, you know, like I am Mm -hmm. still strong and powerful depending on the day, Mm -hmm. like my ankle might hurt, but that doesn't mean that you have to like, in, in, we had this conversation, infantilize, infantilize, (laughs) infantilize, Infantilize. it doesn't mean you have to infantilize me, you know, like I'm, I'm still a grown woman and I, I know my own boundaries, um, yeah, it's it's but it it does it is a good test as far as yeah, if you if you if this scares you then I don't really need you in my life anyway. Bye. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and it's important that the people with uh, that with chronic illness or disability are still seen as sexual beings. Right. It's important that we're able to see ourselves as sexual beings. So that's really what I was kind of getting at. Does it affect your? Had it affected your sexuality? And I don't know if you really answered that part. You, I yeah, think I don't you know that I did. Your willingness to, to it's a hard one. Huh? Your willingness to be in a relationship, but it yeah. has it affected your ability to see yourself as a sexual being no honestly I I don't think it has like I still look at myself in the mirror and I'm like you're sexy look at you (laughs) um so so yeah I don't know that it has and I think because the pain is generally on like my extremities which I don't know in my experience don't come as much into play like of course there's like certain things I would have to modify but um yeah, I don't think it's really affect my my um, ability to think of myself as a sexual creature and a sexual being. I still feel sexy. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> maybe Good. maybe Good. not when I'm wearing like a wristband. Like I'll pop that off, but <laughs> well, you know, it, or make it, it part those of can it. be sexy too. Make it part of it. Yeah, yeah. Make it part of it. Get like a leather and one or a latex one, and then you're good absolutely. to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so I, and, and I think that it's important that people know that there are, um, tools to use to, uh, Mm -hmm. adapt even as far as, 
um, when you're having sex with yourself, if you're using any kind of tools, I can imagine that sometimes um, the buttons on some of the vibrators or tools are just like hard to work. And so you want to get tools that have easy to use buttons. And Mm. then, and there are also, um, uh, uh, there's something called a liberator. Have you ever heard of that? It's a brand, but they make a, a, pillow that's kind of wedge shaped Mm -hmm. that you can use to prop yourself up on if your joints or your uh are hurting it just can make different positions a lot more comfortable so that's something to look into as well and then I'm excited to try this thing that I just heard about uh the other day and it's a I don't remember the name of it I'll have to put it in the episode notes but I don't remember the name of it it's a condom and lesbians and queer folks use condoms too because you <laughs> you put condoms I'm just telling folks you put condoms over like sex toys or dildos to help keep them cleaner and it's nice so but anyway so if your hands are are hurting or something or when my hands are clumsy it's this condom that you can put over the tip of a, a of a dildo or whatever and it's got these little tabs on it so you don't have to struggle to pull it down you just pull these tabs and it goes zip and it just goes right on it's so cool brilliant (laughs) i know i'm gonna try it and then i'll let people know how a product review do i'll be able to do a product review (laughs) um anyway so the so there, those are some things that you can do. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's just really important for people to to maintain a connection to their sensuality and, yeah. and sexuality because um, for a lot of people, that's a really important part of who they are. Yeah, and absolutely. Really sounds like you have um, all in all coped really well with this. However, uh, how we appear to the outside world is not necessarily how we're really coping on the inside. So I want to know if you would give yourself a grade as how, how well you think you have coped with this uh, crappy diagnosis. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm a straight A student, so I'm going to continue giving myself an A, but I won't give myself an A plus. I think where I've, where I could do better is, um, a little bit more, self-advocacy. Um, I, I find it really hard to tell doctors, um, that they're wrong. (laughs) You know, like I've had so many doctors tell me this is what you're feeling. And I often will tell them once. And when they don't hear me the first time I say, never mind, And I just go to a different doctor, which doesn't help the next person who sees that doctor. So I, I am making it my goal to kind of put my foot down and have those conversations a little bit more firmly before I walk away for good. (laughs) I've actually done it with two doctors in the last week, um, where I've just been like, this is not acceptable. And then when I left, they always send me a little, uh, fill out this survey on how your experience was. And then I put my answers in there and they give me a call follow up. And I explain to them, this is what I didn't like. This is, wasn't helpful. I need more of this. And I, even if I don't ever go back to that doctor, it makes me hopeful that maybe the next person who walks in, they'll be a little bit more open to hearing what they have to say. Um, But I think for the most part, though, I I have coped with it pretty well. 
I've been open with others about my struggles, which has helped me mentally. Um, and it's also helped me physically because then they're there to lend a hand when I need it. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up that issue with our healthcare providers. And um, there's, uh, as one of my guests was talking about recently, there's, uh, she talked about the therapeutic alliance that mm -hmm. people normally think of when you're talking about mental health, but she talks about the medical therapeutic alliance and I am bad at that. I am, so, like you said, I am so, yeah. I, I've been through so many neurologists mm -hmm. and it's interesting that you brought this up right now because I was kind of on the verge of, of just getting another neurologist right now because mm -hmm. I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling the safety, the connection, the non-judgment yeah. from the neurologist that I have. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and it's good to hear you say that because um, I should probably, as opposed to just going to somebody else, like you said, yeah. talk I to them. I think even like writing it in an email as parting words, I think it's important mm -hmm. just to let them know. It's, I mean, I almost feel this way with with breakups. It's one thing to mm -hmm. like end a relationship, but if you want that person to go on and have healthy relationships with the next person, it's sometimes nice to offer some feedback in a nice way, mm -hmm. not in mm -hmm. not in an angry way, but just to be like, mm -hmm. these are the things that I needed from you that you weren't able to provide me. So I'm going to see a different doctor, but mm -hmm. do better next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important. Yeah, I think it is. I think it really is. Um, yeah. So is there anything in your life, you know, because you've given yourself an A, mm -hmm. is there anything in your pre-RA life that you feel like helped prepare you for dealing with this in a healthy way? Um, uh, yes. I, I had been in therapy, weekly therapy, um, for about a year before I was diagnosed. And in those sessions, I became more of myself. I became more independent. Um, and I, I learned so much about how to treat other people. And so when my diagnosis came through, I felt strong enough to take it on and to have these conversations with people on my own and not needing other help. Um, and because I'd already had this relationship established with my therapist, we were able, now we talk a lot about how, how it affects my daily life. And it's not something I had to explain to her or a meet and greet session. She was already there. So all I had to do was like, I got this diagnosis, help me. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So that certainly helped me cope. Um, and again, just being a dancer, knowing my body. I think all those years, we uh, I took dance in school. It was like a major that I took in high school. And we took anatomy classes and stuff. And I learned a lot about how the body works and what kind of pains are good pains and acceptable pains and what kind of pains are need attention. Um, so that definitely helped me as well. Those are some great things for people to keep in mind. And I think it's really important to for people to be aware that serious medical issues, uh, chronic illness or um, yeah, d you know, debilitating illnesses uh, are traumatic. Mm -hmm. They're traumatic, and and it's important to find somebody to talk to to deal with that. Um, yeah. Because if you don't, it will affect your it will affect your physical health, and it certainly will affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, I 
And it can take a long time sometimes. I think that I just, I'm getting a new therapist right now. And I'm, um, I've found someone that does EMDR, which is really effective for trauma. Um, Mm. I think that uh, the bad episode that I had in 2008 was um, more traumatic than I have. uh, I haven't given it the the attention and respect it deserved. And so I'm going to, you know, kind of work through that. So it's important not to just, we've talked about this, just you and I, when we're not recording about pretending that everything is okay and it's great and I'm fine. And it's really important not to do that and to really address these issues. I think too, when you do have serious episodes, like what you had, once you heal from it, you try to just move on and be like, I'm healthy now. So I don't need to think about it. Um, until it comes again or until, you know, you realize exactly just how bad it was. I had that, I I had a really bad flare and then I went into remission and I was like, great, I don't have RA anymore. Yeah, I take these pills, but I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. And then it comes back and you're like, I didn't actually think about all these things because I went into remission and I felt good pretty quickly, but I didn't actually think about it affecting my future because it was, it was over. It's done. I don't need to think about it. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. something that, that it does need to be addressed so that you're prepared the next time. Yeah. Yeah. So find a good therapist. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to your body. Yes. Do embodiment exercises. Yes. Those are all really important tips. Very important. So I wanted to ask you before we go, if you would tell me about the short story that you have that's going to be published pretty soon. Yeah. So I I started this podcast a while ago about kind of my diagnosis and learning more about others. And through that, I've met so many amazing people. You're one of them. You're on my list now. Um, but I, I made a friend um, from that podcast and she reached out to me to let me know that uh, there was a publishing company looking for submissions for a composite novel featuring short stories from chronic illness sufferers and survivors. Um, and she was like, you should really write something for this book. And I was like, who me? Like, I'm, I, I'm new to this. I haven't even had an autoimmune disease very long. So I kept putting it off. And eventually I was like, what, what, what have I got to lose? Let me try it. So I started writing and just didn't stop. It just, I got it all out in like a day. I just typed it all out (laughs) and was like that it was very therapeutic to kind of, it, I wrote about, kind of my diagnostic process and where I was at that point where I had finished. Um, And it was, yeah, very therapeutic to go back and revisit those emotions. I tried to take a more humorous stance on it because it's always good to laugh at yourself Um, and then submitted it and it was accepted. So the book actually just went out for pre-order. It's called Chronically Empowered. And yeah, it's a composite novels from or a composite novel with short stories from chronic illness sufferers from around the world. There's a whole bunch of submissions in there. And you can just read about other people's stories and their journeys with their chronic illnesses. That sounds great. I cannot yeah. wait to see it. I will uh, get the link from you so that yes. I can get my name on the list and then I'll put it in the episode notes too. Absolutely. So that's really cool. Yes. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for talking with me today. And this is just perfect, like I said, for this uh, episode that I have coming up soon, whenever I I put it out there, that is really my entrance into this new direction about facing chronic illness and how it's affecting, you know, my sexuality and that of others. So I appreciate you talking 
talking with me today. Well, and I appreciate you lending your expertise to the community because it's, I don't think it is something that we talk about often. We talk about our health and our experiences, but we don't talk about our, our bodies when it comes to sex very openly. And it is something that we have to deal with, 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 with these illnesses. Um, so I appreciate you diving in. I can't wait to hear more about what you, about what you produce. And I will also put your, a link to your podcast in the episode notes too. And uh, just so people know, I recently did an interview with Chelsea. And so I was on the other end of that. And I'm going to be a guest on her podcast at some point as well. So we'll, yeah. we're trading. We're trading podcasts. Collaboration. <laughs> That's right. All right, Chelsea. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Pleasure Principle podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you are happy about the new direction that we're going, please leave a review. You can follow us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review. And that really means a whole lot to me, especially right now as I'm shifting directions. I want to say that I am enthusiastically inviting you to our Q&A on September 20th at 5 p.m. You will find a link to that event on my social media platforms and you can find a link to those in the um, episode notes. Chelsea and I will talk more about sexuality in the context of chronic illness and disability. Um, and when you join us and share your experiences, I want you to know that it not only benefits you, I guarantee it will benefit someone else. So bring your questions and your ponderings and we will all figure it out together in a supportive and very casual atmosphere. Be sure to check out the My Immune System Hates Me podcast. I will also put a link to that in the episode notes along with uh, Chelsea's, all of Chelsea's social media platforms. I am so glad that you joined us today. Until next time, take care of your sexy selves.